1: We take things a little bit different direction today as Jonathan Armstrong is joined by Matt Kelly, Jonathan Marks, and myself to talk about the recent sentencing of former Uber CISO Joe Sullivan. Jonathan comments uh, extensively on the sentence given to Mr. Sullivan and considers how it might play out in the EU or the United Kingdom under GDPR or the United Kingdom's data privacy law. It's a fascinating exploration of a case literally torn from the headlines. I know that uh, you will enjoy it. And if you're a CISO, a uh, chief compliance officer, or chief technology officer, it's something that uh, you should think about. Life with GDPR is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network and an award winning podcast for the Communicators Awards. Mr. Armstrong, you've been intrigued by actually an event in America and wondering how it might apply to both the United Kingdom and the EU. Why don't you tell us what's got you so intrigued?
2: Yeah, we're returning to the case of Joe Sullivan. So I think we mentioned it previously back in the fall or autumn, as it's properly known. And this effectively concerns the conviction of the former CSO of Uber. So for those of you who didn't follow the story originally, he was convicted on October the 6th. He was, as I've said, at Uber. They had a ransomware event in 2016 and they paid the threat actors $100,000 and they effectively masked the fact that it was a ransomware payment by paying it out of the bug bounty fund. So, a fund that had been pre-authorized for people to tell them of faults in their code, etc. And they also made the bad guys sign an NDA to say that they wouldn't tell anybody what was happening. Now, by the way, I just mentioned in passing that things like that are standard demands from threat actors these days. We've had some fascinating documents released, for example of a approach to Royal Mail after they were ransomware, attacked via ransomware, where the threat actors even offer a package of things, including computing what the GDPR fine would be so that they can prove that they're offering good value and offering an audit report for the organization to show where the security liabilities lay that were exploited. So, my point being, it's not just a one-way street. Sometimes threat actors themselves are suggesting things like written agreements or audit reports in that slightly bizarre world of threat actors trying to show that they're somehow good guys. But in any event, Sullivan made this payment. It was shown to be a bug bounty in their accounts. And it seems that the ceo travis, the then ceo of uber travis kalalnik was in on it as well and more on that later and what then happened is the uber were talking to the us authorities over their security stance Sullivan didn't tell the U.S. authorities that they'd already made a payment. He did tell the new management when they came in, after Travis left the organization, and they dismissed him in 2017. In 2020, he was charged, and as I've said, he's subsequently convicted for obstruction of justice and misprision of a felony. Now, he was sentenced earlier this month, and first of all, I thought I'd discuss briefly the sentence and some lessons from that, and then just general lessons for compliance officers, because I think this isn't just a CISO thing. It isn't just a CSO thing. It isn't a CIO thing. I think that in many cases, chief compliance officers, people who interact with any form of authority could potentially find themselves on the wrong end of the same type of action. And the penalty, I think, for Sullivan, is probably somewhat lenient. He was sentenced to three years probation and a fine of $50,000. By the way, he's appealing, it seems, both his conviction and his sentence. But the interesting thing here is that the judge said that this was definitely a one-off and that if he saw similar cases, people could expect jail time. Sullivan had got 186 letters of support from people saying that he was an outstanding pillar of the community. He now works, I understand, full-time on Ukrainian relief efforts. And all of his good works, including his time in public service, were factored into that somewhat lenient sentence. But the judge said, if I had a similar case tomorrow, even if the character is that of Pope Francis, they shall expect custody. He also said that he was somewhat surprised not to see Travis Kalanick in court and said that he thought that he was at least as culpable as Sullivan was. And we've had both the DOJ and the FTC talking tough as a result and focusing on liability for individuals. Now, we've seen that over in Europe as well. Regulators tend to think that sometimes corporations don't take things seriously if you just find them because they regard that as a cost of doing business. And increasingly, regulators are trying to get that connection with an individual. It's happened in tech worlds for many years. Some people remember the chief privacy officer of Google, for example, being faced with criminal consequences in Italy. It's still happening. There are some cases brewing at the moment. And as I've said, individuals from top to middle are definitely liable to this type of action against them. And so, what can chief compliance officers, what can compliance officers do to cover their own back, if you like? I've thought of six things. Maybe people will think of others. Obviously, due diligence. If you're going into a new role, then do your due diligence. That's going to involve things like background checks on your prospective employer. You don't want to Find out something on day one or day 10 of your job that you could have known by doing your research ahead of time. Secondly, I think you have to negotiate hard on your own contract. That has to include things like the right to knock on doors and open closets to see if there's anything nasty in it. And then we've talked before about things like noisy withdrawal or silent withdrawal, but the right to get out if there's something there that you don't like. Thirdly, I think look at D&O insurance. Obviously, for criminal acts, that's going to be not the perfect solution. But I think you do, if you are going to be treated as a executive or part of the controlling mind or whatever in a corporation, then you Shira's eggs are eggs want to be insured and want to have the same protections as the CEO if you're potentially going to stand alongside him or instead of him in the dock. And then I think other three things I'd say are the three R's really, rehearse. Any type of event is inevitable. Ransomware for most corporations is inevitable. Rehearse your reaction. Rehearse your response. Make sure that you're resourced appropriately. So, too often, I think, compliance officers are given big briefs and big tasks and then told they can have two or three relatively junior people to help them. That's not going to be enough for any corporation of substance. And you potentially might need the help of external advisors here as well. That's one of the things that comes up from the Sullivan case that Sullivan, I think, didn't feel or didn't have the resources to check with other people to do a sense check. And there was evidence that effectively, because he was a lawyer, even though he wasn't performing the function of a lawyer, he was, if you like, under-lawyered himself in that he didn't get the resource he needed, it was alleged, from the company's legal team because he was regarded as having an equivalent qualification. But we have a saying over here, the lawyer who represents himself has a fool for a client. And I think that's certainly the case with compliance officers as well. Even if you are a lawyer then you sometimes need that extra check and balance and a sense check from somebody else. And then my third R is remuneration. And this might be that I'm not gonna say what you think I'm gonna say. Obviously, you've got to be remunerated in accordance with the risk that you're facing, but I think people are gonna be more vulnerable when their remuneration depends on things that they can influence, e.g. stock price. So, if your remuneration and your bonus is heavily related to the performance of the company, then in some respects, you've got a conflict there. In Sullivan's case, it might be in his interests to bury bad news because he might have stock options, which would sink if the news got out. And so, You've got to look carefully at your remuneration when you're going to a job like this. I think authorities are going to be more critical of you when you've buried something or not taken steps to make public something you've gained as a result. We're getting close, of course, to Martha Stewart-type territory, aren't we? But I think you just need to be careful about exactly how you're getting paid for the hard work that you're doing. Matt, you had a comment, I think.
1: Yeah, Matt. Now, first of all, I have to ask, does your
0: comment relate to the swimsuit issue? Mine does not, no. Okay. Jonathan, I would just wanted to say, I I do not have much sympathy for Mr. Sullivan here for a couple of different reasons. The facts around this case are not flattering to him. For example, this was a ransom payment, and then he told the company, cover that up. Bill it as a bug bounty where you might pay somebody who through their own benevolent interest, tells the software company, we found a flaw in your software. You should fix it. And then they'll say, thanks for the tip. Here's a certain amount of money. That's what a bug bounty program is. This was not that. This was a ransomware payment. And then Sullivan turned around and said, cover that up. That's a books and records violation, full stop. And if somebody in the FCPA world proposed something like that, we'd laugh them out of the room. So in a lot of ways, I like I see this why a lot of compliance officers and CISOs are anxious about Sullivan's case, but he is not a good protagonist for the story they're looking to tell here, that they're being unf- unfairly punished. I don't know that he wasn't unfairly punished. And never mind the fact that he's not going to jail. He didn't get actual prison time. But I am also curious Jonathan, maybe if you could unpack a little bit more about the misprison offense, where I do think compliance officers have to worry about that because misprison is you are not confessing to a felony that you are aware of, that you're not involved in. You don't have any criminal liability here, but you know that a felony is happening and you're keeping your mouth shut. I could easily see compliance officers on the wrong end of Situations like that where you know about an FCPA violation or you know about some sort of collusion or procurement fraud and the CEO tells you, shut up, don't tell anyone about this. Is that going to be misprisoned now? Are we going to be faced with that sort of a risk? It was enacted during the Washington administration in the 1700s. A little bit odd that we're using it now for a ransomware issue, but here we are. So I do think there's a lot for compliance officers to think about here. I just think Sullivan in particular, dude, Crimea River for what you did. It and that's that.
2: I think there are some interesting bits about that, aren't there? And I think one of the things that's a running theme of this case is. It is alleged he went and told the CEO. I think one of the 186 letters is from the former CEO. And part of you thinks he would write that letter, wouldn't he? I think the difficulty for compliance officers is quite often in things like this, they won't be the lead actor, if you like. And yet, as you rightly say, you can't be in the room where bad things happen and necessarily escape liability. Nor can you think the guy at the head of the table was the guy primarily responsible. And yet, if the prosecutors choose to go against everybody else and not him, you can't really say he was more culpable, therefore I'm not guilty at all. So I think that's one issue for compliance officers for certain, that sometimes they might not be the primary actor but could still be in difficulty if they see something and don't say something. And I think the other thing maybe to consider is in ransomware terms, 2016 is the time of the Roman Empire in, in terms of it is so distant. Now, of course, ransomware is very different. Many of the ransomware threat gangs are sanctioned. Some of the ways in which they move payments are also sanctioned. And it's an even more dangerous world, I think, if you're paying ransoms now than it was in 2016, not only because of this prosecution, but also because of the very real risk that you might violate sanctions rules as well.
1: This is Tom Fox again. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Life with GDPR. If you've enjoyed our podcast, I hope you'll subscribe, rate, and review this podcast wherever great podcasts are listened to. We've linked to the quarterly Compliance News Alert on this case, so for more information, check out that news alert and the Cordery Compliance site. Life with GDPR is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network.